Welcome to episode 55 of Radio 815, the podcast dedicated to examining the work of writer-director J.J. Abrams, as well as his greater Bad Robot universe. I'm your host for this week. My name is Marcelo Nostroza, joined as always by my fellow co-host, Matt Crandall. And on today's edition of the podcast, we'll be discussing Lost, Season 4, Episodes 2 through 4. The first episode in that batch is the episode entitled Confirmed Dead. I just have a simple question for you, Matt. Which one are you? Are you the physicist, the anthropologist, or the ghostbuster? I love how this is kind of like they're assembling the Avengers of the group this is, or some sort of super team, the Breakfast Club, the lost equivalent of the Breakfast Club. And I did like that we've introduced these characters. And what was really cool was just as I'm getting used to the idea of flash forwards, we jump back to flashbacks. But the way that it works really nicely is that in this episode, we are being introduced to this new team of people that have come from the mysterious boat. And in giving us flashbacks that show a small character moment, it brings us up to speed on these people very quickly, and it actually works to endear them to us, I feel, because Daniel Faraday showed up at the very end of 401, and we didn't know anything about him. Here, the episode opens with footage on TV of the Oceanic Flight 815 wreckage, and then we cut to Daniel, and he's watching this. The news overtakes him, and he starts to cry. Somebody says, Hey, man, why are you so upset? And he's like, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. And I just love that this is the way that you add new characters to a show and you do it in such a way by giving us just a sliver of information, a small sliver of information from their past that makes me like them in some way. And the way that they introduce all of these characters, Miles, Daniel, Charlotte, Frank really makes me start to like them. And even though everything we have been told about these people on the boat is that they have some sort of nefarious plan because of the way these flashbacks present them, even someone like miles who is the ghostbuster. And he's a bit of a Venkman because he's charging money. He cons this old lady kind of, he steals her money and then he gives her a refund pretending he's a good Samaritan. So I do love that. We get these small things that ends up going such a long way into making me on board with these characters from the beginning and questioning, are are they good? Are they bad? Because people on like Ben are saying these people are bad. We cannot trust them. They are bad. But then the stuff that I'm seeing makes me think these people seem like they're on the level. So were you questioning as we were watching this episode confirmed dead, Marcella, were you flip flopping and and what would you be? I'm going to say I would like to I would like to be the smooth talking con man kind of that Miles sort of is. But I definitely don't want the six cents baggage that comes with it. If I was any one of these people, I would probably be the pilot. I would probably be the drunk, belligerent pilot who really has no idea what the hell is going on. And is just trying to do right by a particular a particular pilot who took my place on a flight that would have changed my entire life. This episode 
like you said, Matt, endeared us to characters that we've never met before. But it also does something that I love about Lost. And for some reason, as we've gone through the episodes here, I forgot non-linear storytellings. I mean, like you mentioned, Matt, in this episode, we go from uh, flash forwards, flashbacks. We go all over the place. Like for some reason, the cacophony of puzzle pieces that we dealt uh, with this week while they were introducing these new characters didn't bother me so much. But the one thing that I loved about this episode is that with these people that are introduced are after someone in particular on the island. But whoever these people are working for, they are only informed to a specific point. So I love the fact that although these people at the outset are framed as villains to us, these people at the end of the day could be decent people that were ill-informed and that were led down a particular path that they weren't ready to go down. Yeah, I think that that's accurate. Like I said, in those flashbacks, it is interesting to see that, you know, Charlotte is sort of a Alan Grant, Indiana Jones type who comes across polar bear bones in the desert where they shouldn't be and then finds the Hydra collar. And that's somehow something that gets her into this position. And when we first meet Frank, played by the awesome Jeff Fahey, who's so good, he's seeing on the TV screen the wreckage of 815, and they're identifying Greg Grunberg's character, Seth Norris, and he calls him and says, this is not him. You guys have got it wrong. I don't know what you're showing. And I just love that moment where he says, well, I know because I was supposed to fly that plane. It's telling us like this is a guy who obviously has been through something because clearly he's not a pilot when we're meeting him. He's working behind the counter at some sort of, I don't know what it was, a pet store or whatever. And then he calls that number to tell them, like, I don't know what is happening here. So we know at this point in the flashbacks, he's not up to no good and there's not anything weird going on with him. And same goes with Miles, where we see him, like I said, he's taking that old lady's money and he goes up to the room to get her grandson's ghost to go away. And he ends up taking that drug money and then pretending to be nice by giving her a refund. But I do like that we see this guy has some sort of psychic supernatural abilities, is using them to try and get people to move on or to help people in a way that still he's out for number one. So I don't think any of these guys are villains, but the only thing that does put all of that into question is the flashback with Naomi, where we see her talking to good old baddie Matthew Abaddon, the guy that was introduced last episode, who we still are not sure what is up with this dude who claimed he was Oceanic's lawyer. And he's the one who lays out all of those archetypes, you know, the head case, the ghostbuster, the drunk. And he says, all of these people were chosen for a reason. And you guys have to go here and get the person that we want you to get. Even seeing Naomi say, will there be any survivors? And he says, nobody survived that. There isn't, you're not gonna have to deal with anybody else. Don't worry about it. So I thought that was interesting because we still don't know much about this guy, except that he claims to be a representative for Oceanic, but also he's definitely up to something bigger and broader. And this just threw a few logs on that fire, making me wonder who the hell is Matthew Abaddon? What is he actually up to? 
And I just loved that every one of these flashbacks really enriches the story of the On Island. But the On Island stuff is also very exciting because all of these new people from the boat had to jump ship during a storm. So Faraday, Miles, Charlotte are all in different spots on the island and they are trying to reunite so that they can carry out their mission. And our two tribes now, the John Locke led and the Team Jack people, each meet different ones of these these new recruits. And I like that dynamic of the two groups are losties trying to stay separate from each other, but yet the research team are trying to get back to each other. So I thought that was a cool dynamic. And we slowly learn more about these people through their on-island antics as well. If I could just say one thing about the organization that is possibly controlling these people. When I see the head of this organization, the only thing that I can think about when I see this specific actor is Philip Broyles from Fringe. But the point that I love when he is uh, feeding out all of these individuals that Naomi is supposed to protect, he goes, you have one simple job. You have to get them there. They have to do something and you have to bring them back. It's going to be very easy. And as he's saying this, I was like, this is a bunch of bullshit. All these people are going to die or come close to being dead. Uh, the last thing that I really loved about the On Island stuff is that it was really, really cool to see these people who haven't been on the island before be so confident and try to push around our losties. It was so fun to see little lines that this new group would say in reference to something that we've seen before. So it was very, very nice to see our losties be sort of the good others, for the lack of a better word. I really, really enjoyed that particular dynamic. There's one scene in particular that I really, really loved. It's a scene where Miles tries to get Jack and Kate to come with him to a specific place on the island. And he goes, no, we're not going with you. And if you don't put your gun down, our people in the woods are going to shoot you. And Miles just basically says something to the effect. He says, that's bullshit. And the second he says that, Saeed and Juliet come storming out of the woods. And when that happened, I got flashbacks to Mr. Friendly going, light him up. So I just, I enjoyed the little cork from this episode so, so much. Yeah, that was actually my favorite scene. And what it is exactly is Jack says, we're not going to do that. We got you surrounded with guns. And Miles says, how stupid do you think I am? And then the people with the guns come out and Jack says, I don't know, Miles, how stupid are you? And I fucking loved it. That was like a mic drop, kick-ass Jack moment where our losties got one over on them. And I thought that was so great because Miles has been a bit of a cocky prick. You know, he communicated with Naomi's body to find out if we were on the level or not. But I just loved that moment. And just when Fox says, I don't know, Miles, how stupid are you? I was like, hell yeah, Jack, put this guy in his place. Do not be bossed around. So that was my favorite scene of the episode as well. And then finding out that these people are here, we see Jack is starting to wonder why Daniel has a gun. And then they find a bag with the gas masks and some other things. And they say, what the hell is this? And that's when Miles comes clean and says, look, rescue is not our mission. We are here to retrieve this guy. And he holds up a photo of Ben and he says, that's our mission is to get Benjamin Linus and you can either help us or get bent. 
and I loved that. And then the way that this episode ends is another great Benjamin Linus is this mastermind that we can never underestimate because as we are given this information that their whole mission is actually about Ben, then we see in the camp lock where Ben is, they're talking about how Charlotte can't be trusted. Ben starts rattling off information about Charlotte. Locke says to Ben, how? Do you know all of this stuff? And the episode ends with Ben in his perfect Ben way saying, because John, I have a man on their boat. Boom. Cut to the cut to the title card. And I was like, wow, did not see that coming. And it really moved things forward going into the next episode where I was just like, everybody else is playing checkers and Ben Linus is playing chess. On that note, we move on to the second episode that we're going to talk about this week entitled The Economist. So before we get to that, Matt, I have a simple question for you. Uh, I bet you $100 that my golf ball can hit the pin closer than your golf ball could possibly get to it. Uh, Are you going to take that bet? I'm getting the hell off the golf course. I am not taking the bet and I'm definitely not going through with this. I'm getting out of there. So I did think that that was uh, interesting. And this is an episode that we do start with Flash forwards, we find out that Saeed is one of the ones who got off the island. Now, we still have more questions about that. So if we're starting to add up the Oceanic Six, we presumably at this point would add Saeed to that. We see Saeed is a high-class assassin. (laughs) I just love that. It's like, what? how did he get to this point? What is going on here? So I do love that the flash forwards in this especially at the beginning, really start to throw some new questions into the mix because, man, I did not think that Saeed, who is tortured by his past of torture, is now on a James Bond-like license-to-kill kind of path that I did not see coming at all. I thought that the storyline of this episode that uh, covers Saeed's flash-forwards has a very interesting trigger point. When Saeed comes... Across the body of Naomi, he basically takes a bracelet off of Naomi and he looks at it and has it has an inscription on it. And the woman that Saeed basically romantically, you know, gets involved with and, and then falls in love with and then eventually kills for a specific someone that made me go... Oh my God, oh my God, how could, how could you have done this? You, you sold your soul to the devil. I, I almost thought for a second that Saeed started working, started working for the people that employed Naomi, the people that dropped Daniel on the island. But the specific ending to this episode had me going, Oh my God, how could you have done this? What the hell? Did these people do to our losties to drive you to this point? What the hell could they have done? Well, and that's the main question still is that I love that now lost. We have this great dramatic irony where we know certain things have to happen, but we don't know how. So the fact that as we follow Saeed in this episode in the flash forwards, he is romancing a woman that we know because we know that Saeed is a assassin of some kind is a mark. But what we don't know is that he is actually a mark as well. And in those moments near the end, it looks like she has the upper hand. But of course, Saeed wins the day. 
And as he's reporting to the person who put all of these hits in motion, the person that this woman was getting close to Saeed to try and find out more about this person's identity. And it is revealed in those final moments that it's Benjamin Linus because at where we are on the island stuff, there's no way Saeed would team up with Ben. He does not trust him at all. So the fact that he's now working for Ben, we know where we started. We know point A. We know point B. Saeed is working for Ben. But like, what in the hell happens in between these two things that makes this make any lick of sense? And I just think moments like that get fans going crazy online with speculation. It really piques our interest that every week I got to be looking for every little clue that could give me a hint as to how this could happen and how in the future, when some of the people have gotten off the island, is Ben still in a position of power that he's able to use Saeed as an attack dog to do his bidding? And what are they trying to cover up and to what ends? So I love that, but also just the whole Saeed, James Bond, Mr. And Mrs. Smith kind of storyline was a lot of fun, fun, but like mysterious and getting us to ask those questions. Like, how did we get here? That's a new dynamic Whereas the old dynamic of loss with flashbacks were the things that echoed thematically and showed us exactly why characters were doing what they were doing and how that made sense. And now we have to wrestle with how this stuff makes sense in the future. And I'm just having so much fun with that new dynamic of the show. It's unexpected. And again, this was a great ending where as soon as you hear the voice as Saeed's getting stitched up, I'm like, oh no, they didn't. No way. And then you see Ben and you're like, Wow. Again, another jaw dropping. This guy is the mastermind and we only have seen the tip of the iceberg of what he is capable of. The on island stuff, but I did love that we start to put more of the the teams together and we're trying to figure out whose allegiance lie where and even so much so that there are a few moments where our team is in in weird spots and I love that they come across Hurley is tied up in a closet because this ends up being a ruse, but it's supposed to be, we're supposed to think that Locke has decided to be on the outs with Hurley and Saeed, Kate, and Miles catch up with him. And there's a great moment where they're trying to figure out from Hurley where Locke's group has gone and Hurley's saying he doesn't know. And Miles makes a rude, everybody's always shitting on Hurley, makes a rude comment to Hurley and Hurley just goes, oh, awesome. The ship sent us another Sawyer. That was a great character moment. And I do love that we're starting to put these two teams together, but we still don't know who we can trust. I love the Hurley character. You know this, Matt. But one thing that I really, really wish is that I really wish that the writers would just one time let Hurley lose his goddamn mind and fucking hit somebody. Like there are specific storylines that Hurley goes through and Hurley has gone through that I found entertaining, but as someone who has suffered through similar circumstances that Hurley has gone through, just makes me really, really frustrated. And to go back to the Saeed storyline in this episode, the final scene between Saeed and Ben when Ben is stitching him up in the veterinarian center, Ben's last line when Saeed goes, uh, they know who I am. And they know I'm coming now. And Ben just goes, good. I'm like, this guy, Michael Emerson, is amazing. But on a side note, I've been watching Battlestar Galactica. And one of the most hated characters in TV history for me 
is is Gaius Baltar. And in my head, as I've been watching that series, I've been ranking Benjamin Linus, Benjamin Linus and Gaius Baltar. And this episode said to me, there's no contest. It's Benjamin Linus all the way. Because Gaius Baltar is just a fucking little uh, mousy's mama's boy. My favorite line of this episode is on island action where they mentioned to Saeed, like, do you think we can trust Ben? And Saeed says, the day I start trusting him is the day I would have sold my soul, which adds more fuel to the lost speculation fire about, is this some sort of heaven, hell, purgatory? Is there some sort of God, devil, and soul battle happening? So I thought that was interesting. And then the pure what in the actual fuck is this island thing that happens is as they are waiting around for the helicopter to take off, Daniel Faraday calls in with his location and says, release the payload and send me the supplies that I want. And the person on the other phone says, okay, I sent it. Should be there in five, four, three. And she gets to one and there's there's no payload. There's no shipment and she's like well it it should be there it's off my radar screen faraday's like okay then we find out it arrives 31 minutes later which is some sort of temporal shift that happens when things come to the island like we don't even know what's up because when it finally arrives the counter and it says it was gone for 31 minutes which just blew my mind like how How is this happening? Were you confused with that? What do you think is going on here? I was thinking time dilation, but based on my other comment, I was like, if they say Daniel was waiting for the package for 33 minutes, my mind would have been blown. Those of you who watch Battlestar will get that reference. We'll move on to the final episode that we're going to talk about this week called Eggtown. So my final question for you, Matt, for this specific episode is... If I ever get accused of a particular crime, will I be able to call you as a character witness to come to my defense to prove my guilt or my innocence? Hopefully it would be your innocence and not your to prove your guilt because that would be a vital mistake. Yes, absolutely. I will be there and testify on your behalf. And this episode, Eggtown, does show us what happens when Kate returns to the present because this whole time she is trying to get information out of miles who is now in the capture of john locke to find out if he knows what she did do the people on the mainland still care about kate's crimes and that's the greater overall question going on in this and miles says to kate i will answer your question but only if you get me a minute with Benjamin Linus. Can I just say one fucking thing on Miles wanting to see Ben for one minute? His whole fucking plan is to try and blackmail Benjamin Linus for a specific amount of money to say that he's dead and to basically lie to the people on the boat. I was like, motherfucker, you have no idea who you're dealing with. This guy will play you like a fiddle. He will make you believe that what you do was your idea from the start. So Miles' boneheaded plan annoyed the ever-loving shit out of me. But on, on that note, one thing that I particularly loved in this episode is the few scenes that we got between Ben Linus and John Locke. For some reason, John Locke still believes that he has been chosen 
by the island. To some extent, he has been chosen because he can see somebody in a chair, we think. I love the way that John Locke thinks that he can still deal with Ben's manipulation. And the fact that after he has a confrontation with Ben and he brings a breakfast and, you know, they go through all this spiel and Locke exits the room where he has been basically sequestered. He smashes a plate against up against the wall. That really proved to me that despite the fact that I'm really enjoying where Locke is going, I really think that my original idea of what is going to happen to John Locke is going to come true. And my initial qualms that I have about his character are going to come through because he just continues to crumble underneath the pressure. Yeah, and it's one of those things where at this point it's so frustrating to us because we know everything Ben says is designed to hit those pressure points that people have with precision. And the fact that Locke still thinks he's in control, but he allows himself to be belittled and manipulated and that his anger can overtake him still when he should know everything Ben says is meant to set you off. It really frustrates me. And when he smashes that breakfast, you're just like, oh, John Locke, you will never learn. Come on, guy. Get your shit together and don't let Ben rattle you. That was interesting. And I do like seeing how Kate manipulates Sawyer in a way to get what she wants. Again, punching poor punching bag Hugo. When Kate is trying to find out where Miles is, she pulls a fast one on him and she sees Hurley and she goes, hey, Hurley, uh, Locke told me to bring Miles his his food, so I'll just take this over. Where is he? In uh, the, the cabin over there? He's like, no, no, he's down in this other place. And I just love when he goes, oh, no, you totally Scooby-Dooed me, didn't you? And she's like, sorry, dude, I had to do it. And uh, so poor punching bag Hugo still can't be trusted. And they do say at one point, there are no secrets on the island if Hugo is one of the people you told it to. So I love that. But seeing Kate trying to get Sawyer to do what she wants, Sawyer putting on a face to Locke to make it seem like he didn't help Kate in that moment where Miles gets that minute with Ben and he says, is this blackmail? And he says, yeah, it's blackmail or extortion, whatever you want to call it. I will lie to these people and tell them you're dead for $3.2 million. Now, we have already seen in the flashback that Miles is a guy who is opportunistic and after cash. How he specifically knew that $3.2 million was the number is something that Ben wants to know. We're trying to figure out still why these people want Ben and if this would actually be advantageous for Ben to just pay this guy and have this come to fruition, or is this something that Ben is going to take as an affront? So I did love that, and most of the on-island stuff is dealing with that and the fallout of Kate basically now being exiled from this group. Locke says, I don't want you here anymore. I can't trust you. We're still waiting for word from the helicopter that did take off to go to their boat. And at the end of the episode, we find out that the helicopter has not landed on the boat. They've been gone for over a day. And the people on the boat thought the helicopter was still on the island. So that's again playing into this temporal black hole that Daniel discovered last week and raises a ton of questions that we're trying to figure out what is happening and are they going to get one step closer to getting on this boat and trying to figure out 
who Benjamin's person on the boat is and what their thing is. But the heart, the heart of the episode is the Kate flash forward where we see her trial. We see Jack testify and Jack lies on the stand when they point blank ask him, do you love Kate? Later in the episode, he confesses to her that it was a lie. So that is a good moment for the the Jack Kate shippers who would have loved that. And also Kate's mother. Finally, we see a nice scene where she agrees that maybe she won't testify, which of course is the thing that we all think is common sense because it never made sense why Kate's mom would really want to see her daughter thrown away for life just for intervening to save her mom. So that was great. And we find out that the, he that Kate was talking about in the season three finale, I have to get back to him he won't like it when I'm gone is actually a child of hers. And they tease this out that we don't see the child until the end. And partway through the episode on its original airing, I figured out who that he was going to be. And then when it is in that last flash forward scene, it brings a tear to your eye and she hugs the kid and says, you know, I'm here. I'm here, Aaron. And it's like, Oh damn. Claire is not one of the oceanic six. Claire does not make it back. So that adds more questions. Is Claire alive? Is Claire dead? Why is Kate claiming Aaron as her own? And that whole storyline of Kate's dedication to Aaron and the Kate and Jack stuff in the flash forward were the heart of the episode that got the room a little dusty, made me almost tear up, and were the reason why I thought this was a really strong and interesting episode. I couldn't agree with you more, Matt. The Kate flash forwards in this episode really played to the Jack and Kate shippers, of which I am one. But the thing that I found most interesting and most satisfying is that when Jack is called as a character witness to testify on Kate's behalf, the lawyer who is trying to convict Kate asked Jack, how many of you came off the island? And Jack says, you know, I'm a part of the Oceanic 8. And I'm like, Oceanic 8? Isn't it Oceanic 6? I'm like, I know these people have been telling this elaborate lie, but I'm like, wouldn't somebody pick up on that? I mean, it's something really, really minor. But I was like, was that a moment where Jack, you know, he's told this story so many times that was that a single moment where Jack started to break and started to show that this lie that he's been telling so many times is finally starting to crack. But on another note, I really, really love that when Kate's mother comes to her and says, I will not testify on your behalf. And when she finally fesses up and tries to be the fucking person that she should have been from day one, I love the fact that Kate throws it back in her face and says, you know, you are no longer in my life and you basically have no more fucking rights to my son, Aaron. I absolutely loved that. Yeah, that was a great moment. And I didn't catch the Oceanic 8 thing, so I it just must have slipped by me. I definitely, if you were looking for heart and some awesome emotional beats, these flash forwards definitely delivered. You know, uh, the other thing that I really, really enjoyed is that on the stuff on the island, Claire is... You know, in various conversations that she has with Kate in this episode, she basically she basically infers that if Kate wanted to have a child, she would be a good mother. And as those scenes were going down, I was like, oh, my God, I know where they're going for the first time in this entire rewatch. Most recently, I don't feel 
behind the eight ball because this specific season of Lost is a season where I remember most of the characters' names. I remember most of the storylines, and I was so happy that I remembered the Aaron thing. Listen, guys, if you like anything that we do here and you want to reach out to us, there are a couple ways to do that. You can add us on Twitter by simply using the hashtag Radio815, or you can reach out to us on our personal Twitter account. It's just at JJUniverse815. Or if you want to speak to us personally, you can uh, reach me on Twitter. I'm at CreekFanatic88. Matt, what would be the best place for them to reach out to you if they want to talk to you? At Matt Crandall on Twitter. All right, guys. And before we close out today, I do want to mention one little thing. Uh, For those of you who have been a fan of the podcast for a while, you may have noticed something a little bit odd happen on our feed, a special edition of the first episode that we ever recorded was released as a as a way to celebrate our one year anniversary of recording this podcast. I just wanted to say for anybody who listened to that uh, episode at all, it means so, so much to me because I've been sitting on that episode for a very, very long time. And uh, if you like that, uh, we will be resharing every episode from our initial first season of the podcast every Monday on our personal Twitter account at 8.15 Eastern Standard Time. So I think uh, that does it. Until next time, only for this week, I uh, will simply say, if you commit a crime in a specific little town called Baltimore, you might want to be careful because there might be a man in a black coat called Omar that might come after you. Uh, Thank you so much for listening.